It was a dark night. I don't know how particularly dark it was, physically speaking, but I believe from the scriptures we can tell that, circumstantially speaking, the clouds of perhaps confusion and darkness as to where God was and what he was doing made it a truly dark night. In fact, the darkness must have been overwhelming in that sense. And in that sense, it seems to me, it was a terribly dark night. Please open your Bibles to that story or to one of several of these stories in Luke 2. It was a dark night. And the story is in Luke chapter 2. Again, as I use that phraseology tonight, not talking necessarily about the physical as much as the circumstantial darkness. Luke 2. Verses 1 and following. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house in the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. You ever stopped and thought about what terrible timing that must have seemed like to Joseph? You gotta really feel for Joseph when you stop and think about it in this passage, don't you? His betrothed comes up pregnant and he was not responsible for it. He thought he would put her away silently, but the angel Gabriel, according to the gospel, according to Matthew in chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, the angel Gabriel told him, no, don't do that. And now, of all times, with his pregnant wife, the pagan Romans decide to have a census. Of all times. And so, as my understanding, that it was about 75 miles from Joseph's home back to Bethlehem. 75 miles, about from here to Cleveland, Oklahoma. They didn't have the cars, the interstate system that we, had to, that we have today. They had a Roman road system, which was very good, best in the world, but not like we have today. And so he's got to travel 75 miles, no interstate system, on foot, with a wife who is very, very pregnant. You got a feel for Joseph. It was a dark night and it got worse. Look at verse six. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Not exactly husbands, the time frame and the circumstances that you'd want your beloved to give birth and it gets worse. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I want you to think about that, husbands, dads. They don't even get a room. They're in a stable. 
barn, call it what you will. They're where the animals bed down at night. All of us as parents want the best for our children. And the baby is born, and, and because there's no room, even inside the inn, the baby has to be laid in a manger. We think that's rather romantic and nice today and all that insofar as the baby in the manger. But stop and think about it. What if you were Joseph? Not exactly the start you'd want for this child. Verse 8 goes on to say this then. Now they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this, watch this, and this will be the sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem, see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. It was a dark night. It was a dark night insofar as Joseph, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. God was right there in their darkness. God was right there in their darkness doing what God does. Fulfilling prophecy, proving that he was in control, and playing out his plan. For in the manger, God was giving those shepherds a sign they couldn't miss. I want you to think about the dynamic here. How many babies do you think were laying in a camel trough that night? Now, with all of these people coming to register for the census, surely some of these families had babies. Some of them maybe even had newborn babies. How were the shepherds possibly going to know which baby was the baby? because there's only one lying in a manger. So what may have seemed to be a dark night and a troubling time for this baby to come into the world, insofar as Joseph and Mary were concerned, a dark night for Joseph, and may be confused, nothing's going right. They call a census, his wife is pregnant, they get there, she has this, this delivery that night, and, and they have to put her in a camel trough. I have to put the baby in a camel trough, really? But God was in their darkness. God was right there with them, doing what God does. God was in their darkness. And that's how he pointed out to those shepherds, which baby. Because if Mary and Joseph had had a room with all these other people and other babies, it would have been hard to find. But this one wasn't hard to find. Sometimes in our darkness, we don't necessarily see the hand of God, but we need to understand God walks with us through our darkness and does what God does. It was a dark night. In Matthew chapter 2, it was a dark night. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, 
In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. Go with me to verse 11. Verse 11. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned, verse 12, in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I call my son. Go back to the beginning of this reading in verse 11. Consider. It had probably been a pretty confusing day for Joseph and Mary. It had probably been a very confusing and exhausting day with these exotic, gift-bearing visitors from the east showing up at their house. That must have been quite a day. You ever had one of those just exhausting days where everything just happens like, wow. But for Joseph, it was surely a dark night. Consider, here's another upheaval. Here's another upheaval, another arduous journey, only this time he's got to go further. This time he's not going to his ancestral town. This time he's going much further with a, fifth, with a family that is 50% larger and into a foreign land. How many of you would like to do that in the middle of the night? It was a dark night, circumstantially speaking, for Joseph. He had to go to a new territory with this new baby, new customs. We're from Maine. We're living in Oklahoma. New customs, new land, not always easy. Language barrier, hello. Maybe learn a new language. Everything in upheaval. And please note from our scripture reading that Joseph left immediately. No month's notice, no time to pack, no nothing. He woke up, he woke them up, and he took off with his, new, with his family under the cover of darkness, departing immediately, most likely in the wee hours of the morning. It says while it was still dark. And he takes off for this unknown land, for an unknown time, it was a dark night. Where was God? You see, it may have been a dark night for Joseph, but God was right there in his darkness. God knew what God was doing. God was right there in their darkest hour. God was right there in their darkest hour directing he was right there in their darkest hour, not only directing, but also protecting and also providing. You see, from our scripture reading, we learn that Jesus, or we see that Jesus had to fulfill or accomplish every Old Testament prophecy concerning himself, 
or he was not the Messiah, Matthew 5, 17 and 18. One of those prophecies that had to be fulfilled was Hosea 1 and verse 11, where it says, out of Egypt I called my son. But secondly, and I really, I really want for you to think about this, sometimes in our darkness we just don't see God, but we need to understand he's right there with us. I want you to think about this really long and hard. And the first time I ran across this, it's like, pop, wow. Did you notice these visitors from the east, the presents that they brought, did you notice the presence? We kind of pass right over that. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Ladies, don't answer me out loud, just think about it. What kind of gifts do you bring to a baby shower? The baby can't do anything with the gold. The baby can't do anything with the frankincense. The baby can't do anything with the myrrh. Usually you bring rattles and toys and, you know, stuff for the baby, right? They brought gold for, what kind, these guys don't have any idea what to bring to this, this newborn's shower, do they? Or do they? Think about it. That's providence. That's God's providence. Because God was going to tell Joseph that Joseph had to take his family and flee to Egypt. Remember, Joseph and Mary didn't have a lot. Joseph and Mary were not well-to-do. You know, some of us, when we're planning a vacation or to take a trip, we have to save up first, right? We have to plan for the trip, money-wise, right? And here's Mary and Joseph. Here's this new baby. And that very night, God is going to say to him in a dream, you've got to get out of town, son. You've got to go to Egypt. Now, if I'm Joseph, I'm, <laughs> where am I going to get the funds? But that day... He'd already received the funds. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Very costly items. You know where God was? God was right there in their darkness taking care of them. That's where God was. God was there directing, protecting, and providing even if they couldn't see him or make sense of their darkness at the time. Darkness, confusion, where is God? It was a dark night. And although I'm not gonna turn there because it's a very familiar story, we will relate it. In Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 32, it was a dark night. It had to have been so confusing the disciples are there, and, and Jesus is up on a mountain to pray, and he makes his disciples get into a boat, and he, he tells them that they need to take off in this boat, and, and he goes up on the, the mountain there to pray. Terrible storm. And these disciples are out there, and they're pulling at the oars. They're out there, and the storm is just raging, and just they don't know if they're going to live. We can sit back here in the pews tonight, you know, with the lights on and the fan running, and we say, well, you know, no big deal. They survive. They didn't know it when they were in the boat that night. This was a life or death situation. And, and they're out there in this boat. And they're pulling. And they're straining. And they don't know if they're going to capsize. They don't know. Where's Jesus? Where, where is he? Do you know in the scripture where it says, and Jesus came to them in the fourth watch of the night. Do you know when the fourth watch was? 4 to 6 a.m. First watch, 
begins at 6. And if you go through the different, the watches of the night, 3 to 6. I'm sorry, 3 to 6. It's 12 hour increments. Uh, 12 hours, 4 watches, 3 hours apiece. I'll get it right in a minute. Okay. 3 to 6 a.m., the very last watch of the night. These guys have been straining at the oars past midnight. They had been, they had been straining and it was a dark night. Where was Jesus? I'll tell you where Jesus was. Jesus came to them in their darkness, didn't he? Did Jesus know when he made them get into the boat that they were going to have a struggle? Yes. Did he know that they were going to be okay even when they didn't? Yes. Did he know he was going to come to them in the fourth watch in the wee hours of the morning after they'd strained all night? Did he know? Yes. May have been a dark night of confusion and struggle for them, but Jesus knew he was going to be with them. It was a dark night. The story is in John 20. John chapter 20. It was a dark night. Amongst the darkest of nights. In John 20. The disciples, they hadn't slept a whole lot lately. Quite likely. Stop and think about it. Just logical, deductive reasoning. Stop and think about it. Thursday night before his arrest, Jesus had taught them. He had taught them pretty much until I think probably their minds were fried. They didn't get it. Everything he said to them that, that night before his arrest in that upper room, he had taught them till their minds were fried. He'd washed their feet. He poured out his heart to them. They were so tired that night that when he'd gone out with them to Gethsemane a little while later, they couldn't even keep their eyes open. These guys were exhausted. That is until Judas showed up. Then they were wide awake. All of a sudden, they were wide awake. And then that night and into the wee hours of the morning on Friday morning, there'd been a confrontation in the courtyard where Peter had been recognized. Friday morning, the crucifixion of their Lord and Savior. Surely they could not have slept much Friday night as scenes of their Savior, their Master, their Rabbi up on that cross and the terrible shape he was in and what the Romans had done and what the Jews had done. They couldn't have slept much Friday night. If you ever had one of those traumatic experiences that just keeps replaying itself over and over and over in your head, they couldn't have slept much. It must have been a dark night in time for them. Then this morning, some women had gone to the tomb. They came back with some, just some impossibly incredible, it, it had to be some, some far-fetched, I don't understand what has happened here kind of story. And, and the women have come back and they, they've talked about his body being, and they've seen him? No, we saw him die. And now, John 20, Sunday night, Nothing makes sense to them anymore. Everything they had been led to believe in for the past three, three and a half years, everything. They thought there was going to be this, this kingdom. They thought that, that 
that Jesus was going to lead them in triumph against the Romans. They believed in his physical kingdom and, and everything they devoted their lives to, everything, they left their fishing boats, some of them. They left their, their homes and their families and, and they devoted three, three and a half years to this, this, this Jesus and now they've seen him crucified, killed, dead, done. It's over as far as they're concerned. No thrones, no kingdom, no places at the table, no nothing. And now here they are, holed up, hiding, in fear for their lives, and probably, stop and think about this, probably thinking they deserved exactly what they had gotten for deserting the Savior. Probably thinking they were getting exactly what they deserved, like, like rats in a sinking ship holed up behind closed doors in fear. It had to have been truly a terribly dark night for the disciples. In fact, it was probably the darkest night they had ever encountered. But here's the beauty. Jesus was there. Jesus was there in the midst of their darkness, and when they finally realized that, when they finally recognized him, brethren, it changed everything. We sing that song about, you know, turning the night to day. Jesus changed everything in their darkness when they realized he was there. John 20, verses 19 through 21. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where they were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood in their midst. He said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Did you ever wonder sometimes in the Bible if maybe things are a little understated? <laughs> Think about what they've been through. Here they are hiding for fear of their lives, and it says they were glad. Now, yes, the Bible is absolutely true. Every word of the Bible is absolutely true. It is absolutely from God. But sometimes when I read this, it's just, yeah, I'm sure they were glad, aren't you? So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. Why do you think he said it twice? Jesus doesn't do things by coincidence, mistake, or accident. He said it twice. Why do you say it twice? I believe he said it twice because they'd had a really dark night. And he just wanted them to understand that he was with them in their darkness. Furthermore, if we would look here in Luke, in his account of the gospel, turn with me, if you would, to Luke 24. Luke 24, beginning at verse 36. Look at how Luke tells this story. Now, as they said these things, remember the two disciples on the road to Emmaus or Emmaus or I've heard that word pronounced several different times, depending on which congregation you're from, but it's, you know, Emmaus, whichever, you know what I'm talking about. Two disciples have been on the road to Emmaus, they've encountered Jesus, and they've come all the way back to the disciples, 
They told the disciples what was going on. Verse 36 of Luke 24, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and they supposed they had seen a spirit. He said to them, why are you troubled? Brethren, that is a statement in our minds that we need to picture when we're in our darkest nights. We need to think about what Jesus said to them when we are in our darkness, because we all have dark nights. Jesus said, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? You ever had a dark night where you could have used those two lines? Why do troubles arise in your hearts? Doubts, I'm sorry, why do doubts arise in your hearts? Verse 39, behold my hands and my feet, it's I myself. Handle me and see, for spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his, and his feet, but while they, were, while they still did not believe for joy, they're incredulous, they just cannot, this, this cannot be, they cannot get their minds around this. And they marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. He took it and ate in their presence. And then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Jesus said, I kept telling you over and over it was going to go this way. I knew this was, I knew you were going to have your dark night. I knew that, but, but it had to happen this way. God had a purpose. And, and your dark night came about as a result of that purpose, but you got to understand God was working through all of this. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus said it had to be this way. I know you've had a dark night, but it had to be this way, but I'm here. I know your darkness, and I'm right here with you in it. I got this. Fact is that God had been right there in their darkness in complete control, knowing exactly what he was doing, whether they knew it or not. God had been right there in their darkness, knowing exactly what he was doing, whether they understood it or not. God had been right there in their darkness, knowing exactly what he was doing, whether they saw it or not. But once they saw him in their darkness, changed everything. Changed everything. Everything. The same could be said for the church in Acts 12, and I'll just mention this one quickly. It was truly a dark night. It was a dark night for the church. One of their own had been beheaded. Herod had had James' head taken off. It was a dark night. I mean, you don't want to lose a member of the church to that. You don't want to lose a member of the church anyway, but I mean, he was beheaded. It was a dark night. And Peter was arrested, and Peter, the same fate awaited him, but the church was in prayer. And Peter, by the grace of God, by God's help, by God's providence, even a darker night as it must have been for the church in prayer, knowing that James was done, 
Did God come through? God was right there in their darkness. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was taking care of business as usual, just like God always does. It was a dark couple of nights, maybe three, two at least. And that story is in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, and Acts chapter 26. In Acts 9, we have the account of it happening. In Acts 22 and 26, we have the Apostle Paul retelling it. It was a dark time for the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus then. He's on his way to Damascus. He's going to arrest Christians. He's so convicted of what he's doing. He absolutely believes, Acts 26, 9 through 11, he's absolutely convinced that he needs to just torture these Christians, force them to blaspheme. He is just so religiously convicted that he gets these letters and he heads off to Damascus to arrest Christians. On the way there, he meets Jesus. Jesus tells him to go into the city and it will be told him all things which he must do. Saul of Tarsus goes into that city. Some say that all you've got to do to be saved is confess Jesus as Lord and believe and you will be saved and that's all there is to it. Well, Saul of Tarsus going into Damascus called Jesus Lord. Who, how art thou Lord? And he obviously believed because he obeyed. When Jesus said to go into the city and it will be told you all things which you must do, he obviously believed because he obeyed. So here's Saul of Tarsus. He's called Jesus Lord. He's believed. But three days and two very dark nights later, he still got his sins on him. If belief and confession alone were enough, he would have been saved on the way into Damascus. If a prayer would wash away your sins, then Saul of Tarsus, who spent three days in prayer, certainly would have had his sins erased by that prayer, but he didn't. Because after three days, and two very dark nights at least, depending on how you figure that three days, he's told to arise and be baptized, have his sins washed away. Three days later, he still got his sins. But I want you to think about how dark those couple of nights must have been. Turn to me to Acts 9. Verses 9 through 15, it was a dark night. What would you do if you found out because of your religious convictions you had killed the very ones who belonged to God? Oh, how that man must have wrestled and struggled. He went without food or drink for three days. What a gut-wrenching couple of nights that must have been. It was a very dark couple of nights. Acts 9, beginning... In verse 9, says he was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he's seen a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hands on him so he might receive his sight. <laughs> I love Ananias' response. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. I love Ananias. Ananias would go, Lord, do you know what you're really asking me to do here? Lord, Lord, do you understand who this guy is? 
I know who he is, and I'm telling you, I'm not sure I want to do this. You ever told God, I'm not sure I want to do this? Well, you can't surprise an all-knowing God. God already knew. So God's response is to say, go, verse 15, he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. God, you know what God said? I know. That's the plan. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And at that point, Ananias goes to Saul of Tarsus. Despite the absolute pitch black darkness and blindness of those three days and at least a couple of nights without sight for Saul, as Saul searched and Saul groped and he wrestled with who he was and what he had done and he, he prayed and he fretted and he, he wouldn't even eat or drink and he, he desperately sought to come to grips with his former way of life and some of the things that he had done. In that darkness, God was there. God, you ever wrestle with something? You ever struggle? God was there. God was not only there, God was there in complete control. God was there knowing exactly what he was doing. You know what he was doing? I'll tell you what he was doing. He was there humbling and honing and preparing Saul of Tarsus to become an incredible tool in God's service. That's where God was, that's what he was doing. Humbling, honing, and preparing Saul of Tarsus in Saul's darkness. And here's the beauty of this. Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul, learned that lesson very well. He learned that lesson about God being in his darkness. He learned that lesson about God being there with him even on a dark, dark night. And it helped him so much. In fact, when he learned to look for God, punchline of the sermon, folks, when he learned to look for God in the midst of his darkest times, Saul of Tarsus learned that he could find God, that he could see him, not literally, that he could praise him profusely no matter how dark Saul's night or life or losses or circumstances became. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. It was a dark night. And that story is in Acts 16, verses 16 through 34. In Acts 16, 16 through 34, you will find that Paul there is off and he's preaching and this lady who has a spirit comes up and she begins prophesying and it aggravates him eventually. And so the Apostle Paul casts out this demon and he gets thrown in jail for it. He gets thrown in jail. This, this jailer is told to put them in basically the dungeon part of the prison, to put them in stocks. He was told to guard him securely. And so Paul and Silas were put in stocks. And these stocks were an instrument of torture. They were made in such a way that, that your, your legs were spread as far as they could go. And they were in these stocks. 
You couldn't lay down because it would hurt your hips and to set up hurt too. They were an instrument of torture. And so he was in the stocks that night, but he was in a terribly, it must have been a terribly dark night, but, but here's the thing. Saul had learned to look for God in his darkness. He had looked and learned to seek God, to look for God in his darkness. And as he began to see God there in his darkness, Paul and Silas, what did they do? In their darkest night, they started singing psalms and hymns. And the prisoners were listening. And God was listening. And the walls started shaking. And the doors started opening. And the lights came on in more ways than one. And another family of precious souls was added to the Lord's church when the jailer came in and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Did God know what he was doing in that darkness of that prison? Paul may not have known why. You, may, you know, sometimes you, you preach the word and you do the right thing and you, you, you have this dark time, something awful happens or this persecution or somebody has something terrible to say and you're in this dark place and you don't understand why. See, Paul had learned to look for God in his darkness, to praise God no matter how much darkness there was around him because he understood God was in his darkness with him. See, God had a plan. God knew that jailer's heart. Somehow he had to get Paul down there. <laughs> Might not have been Paul's way of choice to go there, but he got him there. What happened? Got a whole family saved. What's it worth to you to save a family in this town? Would you be willing to go through a dark night with God? Soul is a priceless thing. Why did that happen? Because Paul understood God was in his darkness, right there with him in his darkest hours and circumstances. He understood that no matter how much pain he was in, God was in control. And he understood that such darkness was not difficult to God. You know what? The Bible tells us that our darkest times are like broad daylight to God. God sees it. God knows it. God knows what he's doing. It's just like the brightest of days question tonight do we understand really that God is right there with us in our darkest night do we understand that in our dark nights that God is there that he is completely in control do we understand in our darkest and most desperate night, in our harshest and most difficult circumstances, that God is there in control? Oh, if we could only get our minds around that, how much it would change our darkness. How much it would change our darkness. The absolute truth of Scripture, such as Psalm 139, I would encourage you to go home and read Psalm 139 later tonight, but let me share with you just two verses. Verses 11 and 12 from the American Standard Version say this. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light about me shall be night. If I say, I just can't take it, I'm in my darkest night, and this darkness is going to completely overwhelm me. Lord, I cannot handle this. He says, even the darkness hideth not from me, but the night shineth as the day. What does that mean? That means to God, darkness is like broad daylight. He sees it all. 
The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Psalm 139, verse 12. It was a dark night. No, I don't think so. Not for the blood-bought child of the living God, according to John 8, verse 12. It's not a dark night. Matter of fact, final verse of the night, turn with me to 1 John chapter 1, and again let me say, it was a dark night? No. Not for us who know Jesus Christ as the children of God. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. It's not a dark night. This is the message, 1 John 1, 5 through 7, which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. Brethren, we need to walk in the light. We need to understand from God's word that the darkness cannot overwhelm us as long as we hold on to the light of life, Jesus Christ. We need to understand that in our darkest night, God is right there with us. And we need to grab onto that light and we need to grab onto that hope and realize he did not save us to abandon us in the darkness. That is not what God does. He didn't do it to the apostles. He does not do it to his children. If we walk in the light of his word and understand these references I've given you tonight, we don't need to have so many dark nights. Matter of fact, we don't need to have any dark nights. Somebody made a comment going into this lesson about the way I was dressed tonight. He said, it goes with the sermon. I want you to remember this white tie. The next time, because we're visually oriented people, and the next time that you experience blackness, darkness, heartache, this, this awful, I want you to remember the white tie. God does not abandon us in our darkest hour. Ever. The lesson is yours. Tonight, if you're not a child of God by virtue of having been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, we would love to see that. Wouldn't that be glorious, church, on the first Lord's Day of a new year to see a new child born into the family? Wouldn't that be awesome? If you studied and it's time to bury that old man of sin and become a child of God, you can do that by repenting of your sins and being baptized into Christ. If you're somebody here tonight who needs the prayers of the church, we'd love to pray for you and with you. But I want to tell you this before we stand and say, the darkness does not need to overwhelm us because we have a God who will walk through it with us. Don't ever lose sight of that. Ever. Not tomorrow, not tonight. Not ever. If you have a need, we come to the front tonight as we stand and as we sing.